Carranza's tragic flight to death, described in full for the first time, a dispatch direct from Mexico, by journalist Sophie Treadwell, published on the front page of the New York Tribune on May 31, 1920. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Carranza's tragic flight to death, described in full for the first time. 16,000 men, women, and children on trains, defenseless, when ammunition is found to contain pepper. First chief alone calm in panic. Faint hope of reaching safety shattered when Sanchez, looked upon as a protector, turned troops upon fugitives at San Andres. The accompanying article gives the first detailed description of the flight of Venustiano Carranza from the Mexican capital in his vain effort to reach Veracruz and safety. Dispatches heretofore have given merely a meager outline of the last journey of the first chief. In this article, Miss Treadwell describes vividly the remarkable company which escorted Carranza from Mexico City and tells how the old man was overwhelmed by revolutionary forces and compelled to seek the mountains where he was assassinated. By Sophie Treadwell, copyright 1920, New York Tribune, Incorporated. Mexico City, May 24th, a railroad station at night, a dull, small-town sort of railroad station, though in the capital of the United States of Mexico, the city of palaces. The government of the nation is moving. A very dark night, the scattered electric lights hanging on long cords from black heights seem dim. Outside, by the curb of the deserted street, the flare of the pitch torch of an Indian fruit vendor smokes in the summer night. He sags over his knees, sogged with pulque. Beside him, drowsing over a sleeping baby, hidden in her wrapped rebosa, crouches his woman. In the shadow by the station door, a lonely, naked child is folded up on the stones, sleeping. President's train, a royal luxury. Within, on the tracks, are many trains, their waiting engines headed all in one direction. Besides the platform is a yellow train of five cars. On the sides of each is painted in a pretentious red crest, R.M., Republic of Mexico. Although its brilliancy is dimmed in the uncertain light of the wooden station, this yellow train with the red monograms is one of the most luxurious in the world. It is the private traveling conveyance of the President of the Republic. On each of its steps slouches patiently a small, poor-looking little man with a big rifle and a huge cartridge belt. He wears worn cotton pants and shirt, his bare feet are in sandals. He is the army of the Republic. Up and down the platform hurry confusedly men in civilian clothes. Here and there in the dark, shiny new American-looking straw hats reflect the scattered lights. They are the hats of the Diputados. There are also hats of the Supreme Court. There also are women's hats. The government of the nation is moving. 
all branches and the flower itself, but not the root. Outside drowses the Indian fruit vendor and his woman. Confusion and indecision. There is no order. There is much confusion, much indecision, restless going forward, uneasy hanging back. Friends embrace each other, ecstatically giving both cheeks. Ay, amigo! Ay, hombre! Enemies look askance. Sometimes, too, as is the custom with all peoples, enemies embrace and friends look away. The air has a peculiar quality. It is heavy with the perfume of flowers from the garden by the fountain across the street and the smell of oil and smoke from engines. It is charged, too, with anxiety and fear and that curious electric quiver of the great adventure, the desperate chance the setting forth into the unknown tomorrow. Almost 16,000 persons finally entered those trains, and of the 16,000, all were uneasy. All were wondering whether or not they should have set forth. All were asking themselves if the old man was going to make it this time, as he did once before. All were in their hearts afraid. Carranza alone calm, except one, Don Venustiano Carranza, the president, whose amazing dictatorial power, whose life itself hung by a thread, whose thinness he most of all knew, was calmness, was tranquility itself. All that night, the night of May 6th, they worked through the confusion getting the trains ready for the Salida to Veracruz. They had been working for two days and nights before, at the very time that Carranza issued his last manifesto, declaring he would never relinquish his power except to a duly elected successor, they were getting the trains ready. But it was not until the morning of Friday the 7th at 9.30 o'clock that the retreat of Carranza from power, from Mexico, and from life really began. There were 26 trains in the outfit of about 15 cars each, almost 400 cars in all. They ran very close together. And when, about an hour and a half later, they came to their first stop in the Villa of Guadalupe, they stretched out from the station a solid line more than three miles long. Loyal generals aboard. They carried inhuman beings, besides the president, the general of his Estado Mayor, Juan Barragan, also, Generals Francisco Murguia, Marciano Gonzalez, Rafael de la Torre, Agustin Millam, the Secretary of the Hacienda, Luis Cabrera, his brother, Alfonso Cabrera, Governor of the State of Puebla, the Ingeniero Ignacio Bonillas, Diputados, members of the Permanent Committee of Congress, eight Supreme Court judges, between 2,000 and 2,500 pacificos, clerks, office-holders, partidarios, and the women of all these, a defending army of 2,200 cavalry, 6,000 infantry, and 4,000 women of the soldiers. This force was increased by 1,500 soldiers who joined them at Apisaco on the third day. The formation of the outfit was this. First came the train with the soldiers of General Murguia, then those of General Urquiza, then those of General Pilar Sanchez. The fourth train was that of Luis Cabrera. 
in this train were two cars loaded with gold coin twenty-six million with gold and silver bars copper one hundred twenty-five million in infalsificables all the postage stamps of the nation the coinage dies from the mint and all the machinery for the making of the nation's money yellow train of president back of this came the yellow train of the president mounted on the pilot of the engine was a french seventy-five on a swinging base behind the engine the five cars that made up the presidential suite here rode carranza his favorite paragan the young dictator of twenty-six years and almost as many millions other generals also cabrera bonillas one or two other important citizens and women the presidential train had one express car one supply car and three private cars of great luxury it carried all the silver service of the national palace and much of its furniture and many curtains behind the president's train came in order the military trains of general murguia general marciano gonzalez general urquiza general agustin millan general lucio blanco two trains of the colegio militar infantry and cavalry and finally the elementos of general barranca this was the military plan scattered between the trains of soldiers were supply trains passenger trains a red cross train at least a car with two red cross flags flying and carrying a few rolls of bandages and some coslon oil cars of hay and corn flat cars carrying twelve automobiles five trucks and one aeroplane carloads of ammunition and two carloads of the most valuable archives of the nation the equipment in arms was this two hundred and fifty machine guns eighty-six water-cooled colts rapid-fire type and one hundred twenty maxim rapid-fire type of artillery eight schneider field guns two of the seventy millimeter two of eighty and four of seventy-five all these pieces came from st chamon france one farm and biplane two-seater with a hispana suiza three hundred horsepower engine also purchased in france of small arms seven thousand rifles and two carloads of spare rifles two carloads of fnc thirty thirty ammunition packed in cartridge boxes of one thousand each and one carload of artillery ammunition one repair car first stop at guadalupe one hour and a half after the departure from mexico city came the first stop in the via of guadalupe famous in mexican history as the shrine of the national virgin guadalupe is to the mexicans as mecca to the mahometans but evidently the patron saint of his country did not extend her protection to its retreating chief and her so needing son the stop was made because it was discovered that there were no air brakes everybody more or less got out to help put on the hose or to buy bananas suddenly someone called out ay viene el enemigo and five obregonistas rushed up on horseback shouting viva obregon they rode along the train shouting but made no move to shoot they were followed almost immediately by eight hundred or nine hundred more mounted obregonistas who like their leaders shouted but did not shoot the first shot in the bloody retreat of carranza 
a retreat that was to be an almost continuous fight for a week that was to reach its climax in the biggest battle in the history of mexico its end in one of the most brutal murders was fired by an excited young student in the train of the colegio militar as though in one flash the obregonistas added shooting to shouting and panic and death broke loose to the terror of the sound of men shooting was added glass crashing women screaming children sobbing and all were lying on the floors of the cars in a squirming mass many women and troops killed in the midst of it a machina loca a wild engine was sent hurtling into the rear cars hundreds many women of the soldiers were killed in the crash the train of general barranca was captured with the leader and five hundred men sixty-seven soldiers were killed the engineer of general barranca's train was shot dead but the fireman escaped by falling to the floor there he heard the whistle to go ahead from the forward engine and reaching up he opened the throttle for five miles the train ran on like that before the fireman could find the courage to lift his head from the floor once again the moving government was under way the battle had been short a half hour but it was an unhappy defeat for the government soldiers crowded to their chiefs crying expostulating their rifles died they said in the thickest of the melee when the bullets of the enemy were flying all around them and rebel generals were shooting their way into trains hunting out carranza officers from among the terrified pacificos the guns of the defending soldiers refused to go off charles hampton the american artilleryman who had been with funston swiftly opened a cartridge or two shook the powder into the palm of his hand smelt it tasted it spit and swore the black powder was in goodly proportion black pepper black pepper for powder six months ago on the invitation of carranza japanese munition makers set up their plant without the city of mexico and proceeded to the manufacture of arms and ammunition for the mexican government this black pepper powder was one of their products the convoy went slowly ahead already had begun to weigh upon it the heavy sense of an unreal fatal hand the tragedy of the machina loca was not actually known to the trains that went ahead but the dread of vague but near disaster was everywhere the train moved slowly across the cactus-covered plains of a palm past the ancient pyramids of the sun and the moon like some great antediluvian serpent moving seemingly without reason but inevitably to its doom within his private car don venustiano was still saluted as chief by his ever surrounding camarilla but without the car there was no chief nor the slightest organization the true character of the estado mayor became clear the civilians rode like a can full of worms carried to a fishing holiday within the crowded cars they couldn't move they could only squirm the cars of the trenes militares were jammed with soldiers who brought with them all the appurtenances of their domestic life their wives sons and daughters pigs parrots chickens dogs cats 
and their complete though meager aids to sleeping and cooking. Scream, cry, cook, embrace. Of the 16,000 human beings who made up the convoy of the retreating president, less than one half were men. Each one of these, according to his estate and inclination, brought his woman along or his woman and children. And these screamed, cried, cooked, embraced, robbed, served, and were waited on, all according to their estate and inclination. But whatever it was, all were everlastingly in the way. The train just ahead of the presidents carried at the very last behind the platforms where rode luxurious high-powered passenger automobiles a private car de lujo number one ten of the isthmus railroad from the windows of this car looked out smiling arrogant and indifferent algunas niñas elaborately coiffed and dressed from the window of the little buffet at the rear a huge black negro cook laughed with all his thirty-two teeth as he opened imported little french cans and bottles this little serayo riding just ahead of the president's train was a constant source of a sense of injury to those who rode behind sitting on the floor or on valises at every stop a rancorous crowd would gather below the window of car one ten muttering and murmuring here goes maria teresa here goes canta laura treason heard everywhere and in the conversation that passed the long hours for all from estado mayor to simple soldado the word most frequently heard was traicion treason was the thing of which every present was accusing each absent the most cynical imagination could not call up a more perfect symbol of disorder and disorganization than this long and various escort to death of Don Venustiano Carranza. The run of 100 miles from Guadalupe to Apisaco took three days. There were at least 20 stops, delays of machinery breakdowns, delays for water, delays for wiretapping. All along the line, the retreating government kept itself well informed concerning the doings of the incoming government. They knew more about the entry of Gonzales and the advance of Obregón than did any of the citizens of Mexico. As the days passed without further attack, the gente grew more confident that they were going to be allowed to go through without further molestation. The jefes, too, not that there would not be further attack, the presence of the two cars of Hacienda assured that but that the fiero troops planted by Carranza along the line of travel would hold them off. Was it not a fact that in Puebla was the loyal General Guadalupe Sanchez with 4,000 men, Lupe Sanchez a great fighter and a thorough Carrancista? And beyond Puebla to Veracruz were there not all the elementos of General Candido Aguilar? And was not Candido Carranza's son-in-law? gold silver and champagne the greatest cause for anxiety was the lack of water but in the presidential supply train rode twelve hundred bottles of a special gold seal french champagne and ahead of this whirred the wheels of the car with the ninas and ahead of this rumbled heavily the two cars of gold and silver <laughs> 
when the wiretappers brought the message of the salida of general trevino from mexico with orders from the revolutionary chiefs to get a personal interview with carranza and offer him guarantees for his safe conduct to the coast the estado mayor decided to a man not to receive trevino adelante on sunday the ninth the day obregon at the head of his elementos made his triumphal entry into the deserted and defenseless capital even the gendarmes were without guns the government had taken all arms away from them a week before carranza fought off the second attack a small force of cavalry suddenly appeared out of the hills above apisaco and cut down on the train waiting at the station there was a short interchange of bullets then the horsemen rode as swiftly away and the train moved as slowly on from apisaco to rinconada thirty miles took two days an empty hilly desert country hot in the day cold at night the train stopped more than ever all bridges behind were blown up gold was buried the question of the treasure took on the new side of not only keeping it but keeping the enemy from getting it water eighteen pesos a cup every soldier was paid at first five pesos a day this was raised to ten and then to twenty they fought those last days all admitted with gallantry finally just before the end each soldier got a bonus of two months pay and each diputado and each member of the supreme court three months salary this day gold was everywhere and a cup of water cost eighteen pesos besides this material prop to lowering morale the wiretapping brought spiritual alleviation on monday the day after obregon and gonzales with their armies had formally taken possession of the capital carranza intercepted several messages they were not of much importance in themselves but they brought monumental laughter to the tired soul of the fast-failing leader one was a message to gonzales from an outlying carrancista colonel offering to go over to the revolution if he could have the rank of general the answer was from obregon announcing that he alone was the man who made generals and bidding the ambitious officer to address his demands to the right person thereafter another was a message of something the same import addressed to obregon and answered in the same vein by gonzales sanchez's message cheers fugitive but on the eleventh came the message direct to carranza that put real heart complete confidence almost into the breast of the old man and all of his followers it was a message from guadalupe sanchez whose troops held the country the train was about to enter the message said that he had the situation in that country in hand and protested his allegiance to don venustiano that night the engine of the first train nosed into the little station of rinconada that lies in a plain below a line of hills all slept easier than on any night since leaving mexico city for next day they would start for san andres where the protecting army of lupe sanchez undoubtedly would hail them and beyond was candido aguilar the son-in-law practically a clear road lay before them so they dreamed 
they awoke to see the hills before them alive with obregonistas and there were many more than they saw as all night the revolutionary army had been digging in machine guns perfectly placed pointed down upon the line of the train carranza alone was unperturbed general murguia the one man of his staff to show any energy or direction ordered his forces out to the fight in the dawn he strung cavalry fifteen hundred men and horse at the foot of the armed hill and behind them infantry back of the infantry ranging his fire perfectly were the eight field pieces of the american artilleryman charlie hampton carranza leads the attack carranza mounted the horse that had pranced under him in so many parades down the paseo de la reforma he rode around the artillery protection past the foot soldiers to the front line of cavalry carranza himself led the attack his horse was shot in the right foreleg murguia told his shoeless and ragged little soldiers to go to the top of the hill and not come back and go up they did into an incessant downpour of lead they were six hours getting to the top but they got there in the meantime santana the lone aviator had gone up in his farman he came back with the report that the enemy were not protected on their rear that an infantry force could make its way through an opening in the hills to the side of them and come out in back and on top of them murguia ordered this maneuver four hundred foot soldiers made their way in the shelter of the frontal attack around to the little town of rinconada which they took without a fight from this base they worked their way up to the top of the hills and accomplishing perfectly what they were told to do swooped down on the enemy's rear they took four machine guns two small field pieces and five hundred prisoners the enemy lost seven hundred killed no doubt it was a victory the young general juan barragan chief of the estado mayor got down from the train and mounted an imposing steed within the train while the battle was going on the utmost terror reigned terror not unmixed with humor it is said that the diputado don natividad macias on hearing the first shots ordered his son to enclose the paternal person in green pullman cushions when this was accomplished the father's voice came in sepulchral tones from within the improvised dugout my son these are my last moments in this tremendous instant my son hear the supreme will of your father serve only the governments that are constituted on solid bases serve them all but serve no others among the prisoners taken were two colonels who until a few days before had been carrancistas they were sentenced by the valiant estado mayor to be shot for treason carranza urged postponement of the execution of sentence but his now thoroughly aroused aides insisted upon the military necessity of immediateness the first captured colonel was taken aside and shot but the second one offered information of great importance in exchange for his life he told carranza of the existence of five mines hidden under the tracks just beyond the president and his aides went to the spot indicated by the prisoner and there found exactly as had been said five immense cast-iron mines buried beneath the ties 
Carranza viewed these powerful engines for his death without the slightest visible emotion. He personally directed their removal and the repair of the tracks and ordered the train to proceed. They went ahead three miles and stopped for lack of water in the engines just without the station of San Andres. They were without water and with little food, but not without hope. They had met and whipped the enemy and were now within the zone of their own troops. Soon they would kiss both loyal cheeks of General Lupe Sanchez. The train stopped at right angles to a narrow gauge track that reached half a mile across level ground to a hacienda on the left. A wagon road ran parallel to this track. It went past the hacienda, making a little detour around a water trough and across freshly plowed ground into the edge of the hills. This was the road that Carranza was to take, seeking his liberty and finding his death. The water for the trough was supplied by a hand-run wheel. All the will and muscle in the world given to it could result in only a drop in the bucket of the Carrancista need. Twelve dead engines and more than 16,000 thirsty human beings, many wounded and dying. To the right of the wagon road was a small clear field. Here Santana set up his biplane. A few miles ahead, the hills closed into the track around the town of San Andres. Close on the right of the track continued unbroken the line of hills that began at Rinconada. The next morning their dreams were not all untrue. The hills to the left by the town were covered with troops. Santana, coming back from an early flight, reported the presence of Lupe Sanchez himself in a huge hat and mounted on a white horse. Almost at the same minute, the attack began. All day, from 8 until 5.30, Carranza fought off the troops he had counted on for his defense. Sanchez had 3,500 men, Carranza 4,000. The battle that raged between them was the greatest ever fought in the history of the Hundred Years' Struggle for Mexican Independence. At night, the enemy withdrew into the hills. Perhaps Carranza had won, but it was impossible to go on. The twelve engines were dead from lack of water and oil. Ahead, just beyond the station, Santana reported the complete destruction of six kilometers of track. Behind, all bridges were blown up. Wounded soldiers lay in rows alongside the cars. There were no medical supplies. Nothing was done for the hurt and dying. Women gave underwear generously, but few knew how to bind a wound. There was no water. Faint hope still lingered. One faint hope still lingered. Perhaps Candido Aguilar had been warned of the defection of Lupe Sanchez and had his troops on the march to the aid of his chief and father-in-law. The next morning, Friday the 14th, just one week from the confused but confident setting forth, the exhausted and imprisoned trains saw in the first dawn the hills surrounding them literally covered with menacing troops. The elementos of Candido Aguilar had indeed arrived, but without their general. Their officers had heard of the turning of Sanchez, and deserting Aguilar had hurried to join the standard of the 
jefe sublevado. So was the last Carranza hope achieved and lost in one stroke. The Carrancistas got down from their trains and, stretching out this time from both sides of the track, went to the attack. Within the first 15 minutes of fighting, 250 unmounted horses returned from the charge. From the rear, Santana brought the report of the close advance of Trevino with 2,500 Obregonista cavalry. At 9 o'clock, the desperate Carrancistas poured gasoline on the two cars containing the nation's archives and set fire to all of their records of their own regime and some of the most valuable documents in their country's history. They opened the two cars containing the nation's money and loaded all the gold possible into saddlebags. More was hurriedly buried in a frantic effort to keep it from falling into the hands of their enemies. All this in the midst of pandemonium, the president ordered all trains abandoned and the march on foot to the town of San Andres. Confusion reigned in the cars, everyone trying to take with him what is most necessary. There is indiscriminate dressing and undressing. Many uniforms and pseudo-uniforms suddenly are seen no more, all wish to appear in civil. One good-looking young man who until that moment had been noticeable for a fantastic military outfit that seemed to have come from some comic opera wardrobe, suddenly appeared in blue and white striped underwear. The Ninas in number 110 got down from their car and began ransacking their huge wardrobe trunks in the dirt and blood and soot of the roadside for their most precious pieces of lingerie. A little boy fell wounded at the step of the president's train. There was a sudden stampede toward the hacienda on the left, men, women, and children clutched by terror, a horrible sight. Horses, bridles hanging, dashed blindly here and there. Only Carranza, and to this all give witness, maintained to the last his extraordinary and impenetrable calm. At 11.40 that morning of the 14th, enough soldiers were got together to make a double line stretching from the abandoned yellow train with the red monograms to the hills three miles to the left. Through these, at a gallop, rode Don Venustiano at the head of a handful of mounted men. They disappeared into the hills during heavy firing from the front and the right. From some one throat, raucous with thirst and dust, came a last, Viva Carranza! End of Carranza's tragic flight to death, described in full for the first time, a dispatch direct from Mexico by journalist Sophie Treadwell, published on the front page of the New York Tribune on May 31, 1920, read for LibriVox by Sue Anderson.